But firstly on the afternoon program, our regular commentator on matters medieval, Carol Cusack, is uh, joining us this afternoon. Carol, welcome to the program. Thanks, James. Nice uh, to meet you. Nice to meet you too. I, I must admit, you know, I don't think there's... Did you, you know, when you took up medieval studies, did you think you'd have a, a regular media outlet? No, I didn't. But then I was wishing that I could actually listen to your program this afternoon because uh, a number of familiar names cropped up there. I was an undergraduate with Geoffrey Sermay, and I don't think I expected he'd have a media outlet either. Oh, really? But what, what was Geoffrey like as, a, as an undergraduate? Was he a, a diligent student? Oh, diligent, bright, very outgoing, very talented person generally. Did he keep his eye on prices in the union and, and things like that? No, I must say I didn't observe those qualities, though I know he later went to work for um, ACA. Is that it? Australian um, Consumer Association? I think so. Yeah. I think he's worked there. He's been part of the investigators. and he, He's been a consumer watchdog for a while. Well, he's a medievalist too, which is why I'd like to hear him talk. He is the poetry reader with the Renaissance players. We're, we're hoping to, to talk to him about that. Oh, afternoon. well, I'm envious. Yes, the witty master of poetic declamation. He, he looks great himself. in tights. Well, Carol, you have revealed a side of Jeff that we are definitely going to be investigating later on this afternoon. He looks good in tights. Yeah. You had to in the Middle Ages. It was a requirement. That was pretty much it, wasn't it? That yeah. was the dress. Yeah. Hose, Hose, as they called it. Hmm. Now, Carol, you've, uh, you've got a very interesting topic for us today. And again, I, I wouldn't have expected that this would be something that, that, you would, that we would encounter on the radio. Excessive eating and drinking in the Middle Ages. Now, is this, is this uh, an area you've been interested in for some time? Well, actually, I did put it to you somewhat informally when we were chatting before the show. I think our official topic is uh, just the banquet in medieval society. But excess is one of those things that comes instantly to mind when you start considering the medieval banquet. Now, the Middle Ages is a long period, and I guess I'm really talking about high medieval banquets, um, somewhere between the 11th and 15th century, maybe even narrowing it a bit more than that. That's a fairly long period, isn't it? Well, it is, but it's also the period where certain understandings about the role of kingship developed, and the banquet, both um, for the monarch and also for the lord in his home, came to have certain theological and political significances as well, which were actually inherited from much earlier periods, but at this point they were really articulated. And this is because eating was not merely about satisfying physical cravings. The Middle Ages is one of those weird times where everybody had a body and they knew about it because, of course, they didn't have baths and water and and lovely mm. um, central heating like we do. So and it was the body... clearly delineated in hose yeah. as well. The yeah. bo- well, this is true. <laughs> but the body made demands, illness, cold, you know, those sort of things were very obvious. But also it was a period when the spiritual was infinitely more important than the body. So the simple act of eating was you know, thanks were given to the Lord for food, etc. But it also came to mean something in terms of spiritual nourishment and the creation of allegiances. And so banquets, where kings are concerned in particular, are almost theological statements because medieval kingship grows out of early medieval Germanic kingship where the oaths that were sworn between the retainers and the lords went like this. The retainers said, we swear to fight for you and die for you if necessary, etc., etc. But in return, we want your protection. And the lord swore that he would protect the retainers and would feed them. Now, food was essential. It was part of the bargain. Mm. And the word that we get our English word lord from is hlavora in Anglo-Saxon. And hlaf, the first part of that word, is loaf. It means the loaf giver, mm. so the person you make your pledges of allegiance to, has to feed you. 
so this spiritual connection with food was across the classes. I mean, when when I was sitting down to my my meat and potato after a hard day in the in the uh, no in, potatoes, the Jamie. It's, an, it's no. a new world vegetable. Oh, sorry. Yes, gruel, grain gruel. <laughs> okay, I've got my bowl of sloppy gruel there in front of me. I've just had a, a hard you know fifteen hours or so in, in the field. Is this a spiritual act for me as well? Not so much in terms of your relationship to your Lord, but in terms of your relationship to God. Yes, you know that the thanks that are given for grace at grace and those things, food is seen as mm. a provision. Um, give us this day our daily bread. Mm. Was the and Lord's was the, so the banquet that you're referring to were specific events throughout the year. You're not talking about sort of a daily event, are you? Well, interestingly, in court culture, the banquet was almost a daily event. Mm. I mean, people expected to eat and to eat grandly in the courts and court culture which develops in the, the high middle ages in particular in france during the, the capetian period which is sort of 10th to mid 14th century um the creation of a court culture was very important because aristocrats really didn't have a lot to do knights were slowly becoming superannuated warfare was at least by the 14th century being uh, democratized the bowman and the foot soldier were more important than the knight on horse and also the kings were very uh, much in need to keep their retainers loyal and satisfied. And so they created this court culture where essentially the lords didn't live all that often on their estates. They lived at court in this sort of elaborate ceremonial existence around um, the king and the queen. And of course um, the wives of the lords had roles as ladies-in-waiting and there was this kind of um, very pampered hothouse society where they all lived. And I was thinking about some banquets to talk about. We've got some pretty good descriptions of banquets. Um, some of the kings, of course, and the, their um, great lords had pretty disgusting eating habits, which is where the excessive eating things come from. But the ex notion of excess was linked to this notion of provision and the king's magnificence and his beneficence in, in giving this food to So he was feeding perhaps how many people? Well, for example, at the court at the court banquet for the coronation of King Richard III, which was after all a bit of an exceptional occasion, yeah. 1483, a coronation's bigger than an ordinary banquet. It's been calculated that there were 3,000 people at table mm -hmm. and the number of courses in a medieval banquet's often very uh, impressive as well. For example, the banquet of um, Henry V, when he actually coronation three courses of 10 12 and 18 dishes each so the first course was 10 separate dishes which were made of eight people then the second 12 and then the third 18 so there's 40 different dishes that are being cooked what kind of dishes well this is an interesting thing as well there are meat dishes but there's a particular order for um, medieval ceremony uh, one of the, the sort of authorities on the subject a guy called Olivier de la Marche said that foods always came in this order there were soups first, then eggs, fish, and finally meat. And then there were elaborate dishes, special things like swan and peacock. Mm -hmm. And then there was dessert. But the thing is that all of these courses were punctuated by other things uh, which were also contributing to the significance, the intellectual significance of the banquets, which are these wonderful courses which are known as subtleties. Um, and the subtleties were these confections of marzipan and sugar and often, you know, papier-mâché and, and sort of, they, they weren't necessarily edible, though they were partially edible. Um, this particular book, which is actually the coronation of Richard III by Anne Sutton and P. Hammond, 
Um, it actually says that the subtlety is the ancestor of the modern wedding cake. Very often indigestible, actually not terribly well cooked, but you've got to have one. Right. You know? And they came in between each course after the dishes had been cleared away and they were often elaborate tableau for example when Henry VI was crowned the subtleties were all um, illustrations of his lineage from St Louis of France and the great kings of England so there were these statues of kings and they all had little mottos in gold lettering on them Ooh, talking about got a piece? well they were sort of in a kind of procession along the table mm. so everybody got to look at them and you know sort of to lick and to break off bits of the sugar and marzipan but they actually contributed to the theme or the meaning of the banquet so if you were having a, a banquet for an event a coronation I've talked about because they're particularly elaborate mm. kinds of banquets but people might have a banquet for um, a betrothal between a daughter and, and, and uh, their, the son of a neighbouring lord or whatever mm. or a banquet to celebrate the king actually visiting on a royal progress through the country estates, you could choose a um, theme. Say it was a hunting banquet. All the subtleties could be like stags and you know mm. other animals that you. So would these hunt, are a little like like ice carvings. At yeah, the, in, they in a are. Hotel foyer They're that or beautiful like that. temporary right. art. Right. You, 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 you don't really eat them, as you say. You eat just bits. You lick at them. And what what kind of time frame would this take place in? These three courses, these forty dishes, all these subtleties. I mean, it sounds like you're talking about three days. Well, you could be talking about 12 or 15 hours, mm. not necessarily three days. <laughs> and would, what, would it start at lunchtime, basically? Do they have that notion of breakfast, lunch and dinner? Or no, is... in fact, medieval people, and indeed right up to the modern era, there were like two meals of the day. Mm. There was no breakfast. Breakfast was for whims. L dinner, which was sort of the principal meal of the day, was somewhere between 11 o'clock and 1 o'clock. And students were allowed to have their dinner at 10 because it was considered that they were weak, you know, not working people. They were, were Nancys and wussies who needed to eat early. Um, and then there was a meal at, like, at the end of the working day, 7 or 8. And that was all people ate. I mean, mm. just, just twice a day. Mm. But, of course, royal people... Whether it was a middle-of-the-day meal and it went on for 12 hours after that or it was an evening meal and it went on right through the night. But they're both possibilities. It's, it's not a difficulty. And, of course, as I say, there were some pretty gross eating habits amongst people. Um, in fact, uh, most people, it seems, ate quite moderately. But some of the kings that we've been talking about in the programs I've done before, like Edward IV, for example, who actually died aged 40, literally physically worn out. He wrecked his system, bloated, fat, ulcerated. He used to be very fond of using enemas so that he could eat three and four times and five times. Mm, you know, nice. Gorging himself mm. in this really revolting, mm. you know, sort of Rabelaisian way. Mm. And I guess he didn't, have, he didn't have magazines to consult to tell him to cut down a little. Oh, I think dieting was a concept that the Middle Ages wouldn't have understood at all. The only people who had that kind of concept were religious ascetics who fasted, but then they weren't dieting to make themselves more beautiful. Mm. They were denying the flesh. You what, know. what were the medieval notions of nutrition then? I mean, it, with this the notion that you put forward before, that you, you had to eat in a certain order, was that purely religious or were there notions that you know you should digest this and then that or you will gain strength from this or that you should eat a balanced diet was that was that I, kind of concept around <laughs> no no definitely not i think the ritual order of the foods was actually um you know practical soup is easy to swallow the the eggs and fish are very light things and then you go on to the sort of serious major dishes at mm. the end and then the confection the dessert the sweet thing is at the end mm. um it's an interesting pattern uh, i think even meals in the classical world followed that kind of pattern a light thing first then a main meal then a sweet it's it's sort of 
something that we still haven't broken. I it's mean, it's just a dictate of taste, of your own taste sort of thing, isn't it? You know, you just that's you'd like that to start with, mm. and then well, you like to finish with something sweet. You know, a friend actually suggested that um, we should reverse it someday and start with desserts and see how you actually felt at the end of it. And I think the general feeling was you'd feel ill. So I think there's practicality in the order of the dishes. Mm. Um, what kind in, of tastes were there? I mean, when you say that there were 40 dishes or, you know, let's say that even a smaller banquet, we're talking 10 or 12 dishes, was the emphasis like we might have where you go to say, you know, you want, you want all sorts of subtle little tastes or was the emphasis just on sort of amount? Well... The balanced meal concept is alien. So you will find that poor people ate lots of gruel and vegetables. Mm. Um, everybody ate bread. Though the interesting thing is that they didn't have dinner plates either. You know about the trenches, the big sort of flat baked pieces of rusk, which were actually used as a plate. Everybody had a trencher a put trencher. in front of them. That's mm. what they were called. And you're eating with your hand? Um, yes, mostly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There are cups and there, there, are, there are bowls that things are served in. Mm. But in general, the mess is ladled onto your rusk and you eat from it. The mess. Um, yes, because it's usually... It, they're actually called messes. Courses oh, right. in middle, in medieval English, a, a course was called a mess. Right, right. So you're not referring to just a slop. No, or no. A, a mess of food right. was what it was called. Mm -hmm. And often two people would eat off the same trencher. The, the banquets were ritualistically arranged. People sat with their peers. So if you were very noble, you sat with the very noble. If you were minor noble, you sat with the minor noble. And if you were a squire, mm -hmm. you sat at the very end mm -hmm. of the table with the squires. You weren't allowed to mix, you know, just meet anybody free. Right. Really. Right. You were strongly segregated in right. terms of your. But people aren't eating for kind of oh, I love the subtle taste of that aspic with that lark's tongue. Oh no, I don't just kind really of picking think it so. down, right? And and um, as I was just going to say, rich people ate a lot of flesh. The vegetable idea wasn't terribly mm. important at all. And a lot of the things that we think of now as vegetables when we eat actually were desserts because they had no sugar. Remember, sugar is a, a mm -hmm. third world. Um, New World product as well, and so they had sugar beet, but that, so most of the desserts were made from carrots and pumpkins and sugar beet, things that actually are sweet tasting. And honey, of course, was the was predominant sweetener. So no cakes really. Yes, no. there was cake, yeah. but it um, wasn't isn't fluffy and light like sponge cake like we imagine. It's quite grainy and, and sort of heavy and bready, um, more like brioche in France, which is you know sweet bread now mm. rather than than a cake mm. have you ever tasted any of this do people pr try and prepare medieval yes. dishes according well, course, to old recipes? for those people who might be interested there are some wonderful medieval cookbooks there are two that are very famous one is called plain delight spelled p-l-e-y-n d-e-l-y-t and i can't remember who wrote that and the other one is the british museum medieval cookbook and they make um it possible to cook in this particular mm. way and there are of course many medieval recreationist societies in Australia which are not strictly academic groups but get together and they make clothing and armour and various things like that and I have been fortunate to speak at one of their national conferences which was in 1991 and the medieval banquets that are supplied at such uh, conferences there is a striving for accuracy and mm. for, so none of us none of us are actually out there with the hose having an enema oh Carol you read my <laughs> mind I was wondering whether you know would, would you go for the I could see and then, you and a, coming. And then a bit, of a bit of a chuck after that. No, you know? no, definitely not. No? But the food has a degree of authenticity and well, you, 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 some of the you cooks are wonderful. You put a limit on yourself, don't you? I'm, I'm disappointed in that. I would Look, have thought I'm you'd a person to... who can't even manage a three-course meal generally <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so we're talking pretty big amounts, excessive kind of behaviour, and this was, this was praise. And this highly was... ritualised, mm. highly formulaic. You don't just eat. You wait for the armies of servants to mm. bring out each course ceremonially 
entertainment in between going Yes, there is on? music, yeah. dance, yeah. Uh, conversation, of course, yeah. and banquets are the scenes, of course, of uh, politicking and alliances yeah. being Drinks, formed. Drinks, alcohol. Yes, yes. People getting riotous Not a lot of wine in England always had to be imported. You can't grow very good wine. Yeah. Lots of ale and mead. Yeah. More wine in France and Germany in the continental yeah. courts. Um Sometimes quite subtle and delicate and fascinating foods also imported from the Orient after mm. the crusading period. Of course, raisins and particular kinds of jubes and sweets that, mm. that were considered very mm. important. Well, it does say, it, it, sounds, it sounds pleasant. Do you, do you think, you know, from your research, would you, have, would you have liked to attend such a I think a I function? might have grown tired of it. And I think I might also, with my customary modern disregard for forms, found it difficult to deal with the idea that, you know, X had to precede me through the door because mm. she was more important. And I couldn't wear my green dress if it was known that Milady Y, who was more important than me, was wearing her green but dress. This, this is the academic similar. world, isn't it, isn't it, Carol? Doesn't this take place in the, in the halls of learning? Isn't there strict ritual and, you well, know? Well, I must say, if it does, I think I've been ignoring the conventions <laughs> for some time. You wild, rebellious thing. Carol Cusack's been uh, talking to us about um, uh, matters medieval, and we've been looking at the, the, the medieval banquet. Uh, Carol, thank you very much for coming in. It's great fun. What, uh, you'll be getting takeaway tonight, will you? Or, uh... Well, considering my PhD's due in two weeks and one day, um, we've been eating a lot of Vegemite toast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, thank you very much for joining us. Good luck with your, uh, with your PhD. Thank you, Carol.